Hello, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host, Eric Devin, in for Pierre Paul Birmingham. Uh, I'm joined today by Muhammad Ali. Marseille have obtained their first win in Paris for over 10 years, breaking a run of 20 competitive uh, fixtures without a victory in this between these two teams. PSG lost 1 0, uh, losing for the third time in their last three matches, although we don't want, we, don't, we can't really count Bayern on the same level as uh, Lens and Marseille. But uh, weakened by COVID-related absences, the Parisians will be missing even more players next time out as they were hit with suspensions. Five red cards and 14 yellows in this match, to which were added accusations of racist language on the part of Marseille defender Alvaro Gonzalez. Not the most glorious representation of French football after a brilliant weekend that was filled with goals, except for cough, cough, uh, bordeaux Lyon. The, the glory was all to be found as well in Irvin Cardona's volley, an exceptional contender for breast haha, goal of the season, We'll talk about that and more from the Liga show this weekend. And finally, we'll discuss the election of former OM president Vincent Lebrun as chairman of the LFP. So, Mo, let's start with you. Uh, a brilliant outing uh, that sees PSG uh, extend their winless and goalless start to the season. But maybe more importantly, Marseille uh, continue their perfect start with a top-of-the-table showdown with Saint-Étienne scheduled for later this week. So, uh, yeah, talk to us about the match. and. Uh, what were your impressions? Is this uh, a good luck from uh, Andre Villas-Boas? Is this the sort of bite this team needs to be a legitimate contender this season? Um, well, first of all, thanks for, for inviting me back on. Um, I think I think you can pick apart um, a, a bit of uh, what you've said. I mean, there's a bit of luck, um, but there was also um, a very, very good strategy in place. I mean, um, you know, there's no denying that Paris Saint-Germain were without some key players, um, Marquinhos and Mbappe amongst them. Um, and even, you know, even if Di Maria and Neymar did play the, the full 90 yesterday, um, they really weren't expected to. So credit to them for sort of toughing out after the COVID infections. Um, you know, that, that, you know, that being said, I mean, the last 12 months, Paris Saint-Germain beat Marseille 4-0 with all four goals coming in the first half. And Andre Villas-Boas, who obviously... Um, sort of discredited that game as being um, not really, you know, not really important for him. Um, and OM then being absolutely sort of ridiculed by that high line that they played and that was kept being ripped apart by Di Maria and Neymar, absolutely changed their tune this week, um, favouring a very defensive uh, formation, a, a successful low block um, approach um, that sort of worked wonders um, and came against the Paris Saint-Germain side who were perhaps sliding back into um, and or adding fire to the notion that when the going gets tough, they really sort of don't get going. Um, you know, this is a team that perhaps for 85, 90% of matches in the last couple of years, they have been the overwhelming favourites. Um, and sort of when the chips are down and, you know, when the back's against the wall, they struggled and and yesterday was no exception. Obviously, you know, the Lance defeat early on in the week was freakish. Um, but in this in this uh, scenario, um, you know, they did welcome back a couple of players. You know, they they had um, sort of still very very technical, very good players at hand and were unable uh, to not only get past Marseille but also to match them in a sort of the grit, they were a bit devoid of ideas, they had plenty of the ball, Marseille did let them have the ball, but couldn't really do much with it. And obviously, in the end, we have to speak about them walking into the trap that was set for them. Um, obviously, there were plenty of incidents um, in the game, there were incidents that led to the, led, you know, up to the game, what with the fallout of the Champions League and, and um, you know, comments off the field, etc., um, which I guess we'll go into a little bit later. But uh, you know, they 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 didn't they didn't manage to um, hold themselves up high and sort of go beyond that. And, you know, Thomas Thomas Tuchel said yesterday, you know, his side is full of South Americans. You know, they're very emotional, and that can be some of their strengths. Um, you know, in terms of fostering uh, team togetherness and everyone working with each other. But then again, you know, when you walk into a situation where it can be hostile and tense they are also prone to losing their heads. And I think we saw a little bit um, of that yesterday, obviously with the unsavory instance. But overall, you know, it's a fantastic result for OM. 
it's you know and we've spoken i think before on this podcast about the tough uh, season opener they have they obviously got to confirm um what they've done last year but that means that they've now beaten every single one of the top teams in league and over the last 12 months that's five wins out of seven uh one draw against ren and obviously the defeat to paris i mentioned in the league um and I, while i think it's too early to talk about the title it's a fantastic start another feather in the cap for the abb uh, yeah, I, I, I got to say, Mo, I, I think that, you know, we did see a bit of that, that South American fire, as it were, um, on the part of, on the part of, uh, of PSG. I thought, I thought we also saw some positives as well from uh, Alessandro Florenzi making his debut and I think playing some nice moments as well. Um, yeah, I, I thought that there was, it perhaps wasn't as one-way traffic as, as it might have been, but I, I also think that we shouldn't be remiss in giving an immense amount of credit to Stefan Donda for his performance. I think he's man of the match, a, a rarely handed out nine. Um, some several, several brilliant saves with his feet. I, I think the way he has continued to roll back the years over the past 12 months and change has really been a huge difference. I think this is a player who somehow maybe looked at as being on his way out, not maybe perhaps akin to Dimitri Payet. The two of them were at a little bit of a low ebb a little over a year ago, but I think the performances they delivered both last season and in the early part of this have been really key, and I think can, can if they continue in that vein, I think it's this is what is driving for me the possibility of Marseille being a title contender. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that as the resident yeah. expert on Loan. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't want to go too much into sort of title talk. It's only September after all. Um, but one thing that we can sort of take off from from this game and sort of the direction that OM are moving in is the fact that they are able to turn up in the big games. They're able to play out a clearly defined strategy. They're able to get stuck in, you know, whether it's unsavory or not, I'll let the others decide. Um, but they're um, absolutely able to come in and get their hands dirty and pick up uh, a, a result. Um, and that's something that in Ligue 1, um, hasn't exactly been the case um, over the last couple of years. I think much has been made um, for the fact that actually, you know, you know, OM had only picked up their first win in like several years to Monaco in 2018 uh, with Rudy Garcia. Uh, you know, last November was the first win over Lyon in five years. They haven't won at um, in Lyon for for more than ten. Um, last night was the first win in the Parc de Princes for 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 ten years. Um, so, you know, the records are falling and they're, they're becoming a team. And I think what we can see is that obviously the Champions League is going to start again soon in about five weeks' time. And it's very likely that when we're going to be drawn against some heavy hitters being in pot four. And they can, they, you know, they've shown, not just tonight, but also I think in the friendly against Bayern Munich, I think we saw um, a very good uh, run up, uh, even though it was just a friendly, that they are able to step with the big guys. Um, and sort of come out of this rut where, you know, it's OM and they haven't got a budget and we're this and we're that, but they can take themselves seriously. And I think AVB is a very, very big proponent of that. I think for too long, um, especially under the last years of Rudy Garcia, that was uh, the case. So we'll see how, how this transpires in the Champions League and then reconvene. Obviously, I think maybe by Christmas time, if, if they are there or thereabouts, uh, we can then have a look at what sort of title um can be um sort of can be chased but do you know what it's, it's september already six points ahead of paris Saint-Germain. i think that's a very good start sure philip how did you how did you see the the spirit of the match in terms of the effort that both teams are putting in uh, i thought they had they were very well prepared they had a game plan uh they have uh they got their tactics right villasburg's got his tactics right um and uh, i would say I would say that we um, we weren't uh, at the races. We had loads of uh, players missing, and the players that were playing, uh, namely Neymar and um, and Di Maria, weren't really as fit as they as they should be. Um, but uh, that Marseille were just uh, really really up for it and, and looking uh, resolute and um, and organised, uh, just like I saw them uh, the game was at uh, Brest. I think it was. With uh, Tovar playing well, I did not really understand. Maybe I'm missing something there, but uh, why didn't Benedetto start? Was he somewhat injured, Mo? Oh, I don't. I don't think it was um, an injury. Um, I think. I, I mean, there were rumours. Obviously, this is completely unsubstantiated, but it looked to me that there were rumours where 
um, you know, I don't think his performance in the last game was all right, but also the fact that, you know, Villas-Boas had just preferred the false nine in, in seeing what could be um, what could be had by having a team that plays very, very deep and having Maxim Lopez drop deeper um, in that. And for me, when I looked at the team, team sheet, I thought there was no, there was no uh, question that Benedetto was going to come on early in the second half as OM sort of switched from a ultra defensive to seeing what they can sort of snuff out of the game. And, and it worked. It worked to some extent. I thought Benedetto was quite productive um, in that second so half. But would that be potentially a plan B then? Exactly, Benedetto yeah. is not to... Yeah, okay. Wait, wait, it was plan A uh, last, uh, last night just to give Benedetto some breathing space so he could be a bit more of a nuisance when he came on? I think that's, yeah, I think that's a possible um, um, way of looking at it. I think, um, um, mm. yeah, exactly. I don't think having Benedetto for the full 90 where Owen were really going to be pinned back um, would have mattered, would have helped. Mm. Which actually worked because uh, Benedetto actually scored a, a very much valid goal and I have no idea what uh, VAR were doing. Um, the, the worst player on the pitch, actually, he wasn't exactly playing was a referee. I thought Brizard had, a, had an absolutely awful performance, um, not, uh, not giving, probably giving too many, too many bookings from the start and not giving a red card early enough and giving all those five red cards in stoppage time. Uh, I thought uh, a player like Paredes um, should have been sent off I think it was 10 minutes before before stoppage time, um, but he still he wasn't helped by VAR. I mean, VAR should have should have reviewed that um, uh, that goal, and you know it should have stood. And Marseille should have been leading leading two goals to nil. So Benedetto was very instrumental. I thought Tovan and Payet were okay. Um, actually, Mandanda got uh, got uh, very highly rated. He got uh, he got a nine out of ten in uh, today's league, Keith, which I thought was quite generous. But I thought uh, Camara is, is fast becoming an extremely reliable um, defence defense shielder. And um, when, when the pressure was on, the pressure wasn't really uh, that, uh, that big uh, with, uh, with a lot of players being annoyed, Neymar getting annoyed, Alvaro um, getting, the, um, getting under his skin. So, you know, well done to him. He, he, he actually achieved what he, what, he wanted, what he wanted to do. He wanted to basically annoy Neymar, and he did. Um, but Kamara, I thought, was, uh, was very good, and he actually played as a third centre-half later on. And, um, you know, it showed, it showed how, how organised Marseille were. Um, however, I do, yeah, I do, I do question. It's, it's all about the Champions League for me. As, as you said, Mo, earlier, uh, there's going to be loads of games against very, very good sides. And um, and and uh, the side, I mean, the squad is the squad big enough to to mount uh, to actually finish in in the top in the top three. I'm not sure if we're going to talk about uh, about Lyon Lyon later, but uh, to me, them not having Europe is a big plus. Um, to me, Marseille still have a bit of a sin squad. So, yeah, um, building on, so sorry, building off of um, the comments. Uh, that you had there, Philip. Uh, Leonardo gave a the sporting director of PSG gave a rather sensational interview uh, after the match, saying that uh, the quality of uh, Broussard, the referee, was not of a high enough level. We know he's not someone who has a lot of experience in the Champions League, of uh, a Rudy Bouquet or a Clement Charpin. So, mm. Mo, for you, did the the LFP get this assignment wrong in terms of not assigning a referee with a higher profile, if you will, to this match in terms of? controlling what they knew was going to be a, a high-intensity atmosphere, especially PSG coming off that, that loss on Thursday? Well, um, I, I, I personally obviously don't agree with uh, Leonardo's comments, only if he's not wrong. Uh, I think we can accept that he's not wrong. Um, but the fact that he pulled that quite quickly out of his arsenal after the game um, showed that, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, the referee, it's this, it's that. You know, it, Tuchel um, and Co, as well as Leonardo, also question why the game was held this, you know, this early, and why not in October or early November as it normally is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, even though they knew this, they knew that they'd be playing on the third week. It's it's a fixture-generated list, and I think obviously it was, you know, cynically, I think it was the case of trying to drive subscribers to Telefoot by having that um, very very early. Um, but you know, they. You know, they knew this before the Champions League and they knew they'd play Lons straight after Bayern Munich and it's 
it's this, it's that, it's it's the referee, etc. That that being said, um, it, yeah, Jerome Brissard is not to the top three, top four uh, referees. He's thirty, I think, thirty four, thirty five, um, inexperienced, um, hasn't had a sort of a run in Europe. Um, um, as is the case with a couple of other French referees. Um, and yeah, it, I think the game got away with it from him pretty quickly. That, you know, it's, that's not essentially a bad thing in that the fact they had to dish out so many cards. Obviously, the game, I think, as we can all agree, um, did require um, a he- lot of heavy cards. And I think the players' behaviour uh, did nothing to sort of uh, quell that. Um, but there were a couple of things, you know, there were some, there were, uh, you know, things that were missed by the referee. There was the Benedetto goal, which now the VAR, Francois Letexi, is also uh, a major league and referee, has now come out and sort of said, my bad. Um, as reported by RMC this evening, um, you know, for the high profile marquee games, there needs to be high profile marquee um, protagonists. That uh, as simple as that, whether it's Clement Turpin or or Rudy Bouquet, um, if that if that if that's the case, that has to be the case for for big games. We cannot let incompetence or or um, people you know stuck like deer in headlamps um, referee the, the the top game because there is the potential for things like this. That being said, I don't really blame him. You know, it was a very unique game played by played in very unique circumstances. So I think we're just going to have to accept that this was probably a one-off. So, Philip, I wanted to, to bring you in here on, in terms of the, the incidents at the end of the match. Um, mm. Unsavory behavior on both sides. Do we think that, that's, that what's been handed out to these players is merited? Or, and do we think we can see significant further suspensions, both in terms of around the, the physicality and as, as well from... Uh, Alvaro Gonzalez, if it is proven that he has indeed insulted Neymar in the way he, in which he's been accused to have done. You know, a lot of uh, people were outraged at what happened at the, um, at the end of the game. Uh, to me, it reminded me of the good old days where both teams were playing really, really shit football and, uh, and red cards were being dished out for absolutely awful, awful challenges. So that's, uh, you know, the part of the, uh, the part, um, the uh, historical historical part so actually this this actually reminded me of uh, how a classico used to be uh, 10 to 15 10 to 15 years ago i think that uh, there will be punishment it will be quite severe possibly going up to uh, to five games again i think uh, the the tension it could have been uh, it could have been better managed by uh, by brizard and uh, that had he given a, a red card sooner i think he had more uh, he didn't have that many opportunities actually to give that red card, but he did. Uh, he did have some opportunities, and uh, yeah, again, it's been. It was. It was quite ugly the way uh, the way it went. Um, and again, I think um, uh, some Marseille players, uh, with like uh, like Alvaro, they managed to get under uh, big uh, big game players' skin, and uh, that was uh, yeah. That's uh, that basically. Uh, what well, set it off? Well, what's your take on the incident at the end of the match? I mean, I, I, I think I know, you know, Alvaro Gonzalez is a player who we can associate, even though he is Spanish, not South American, is having this sort of spirit of renta. Um, but I, I think it's certainly we need definitive proof before we can accuse this player of anything unseemly. Um, how yeah. did you? How did you view this? Just as is, is it simply as as we sort of alluded to a product of a lack of control throughout the match? Do you think that there's something else at play here? I don't know. I mean, I think, first of all, um, there's a lot to sort of unpack in those sort of final minutes. Indeed. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, first of all, it's, it seems to me personally, it's my personal opinion, that, that uh, getting under the skin and sort of getting in the face was a predefined tactic. I mean, it worked. Um, in, in the Lyon game, it worked against Paris Saint-Germain, if you remember in October 2017, when Ocampos already got Neymar sent off in that game. And in that second half, it just descended into um, chippy tackles and uh, chippy errors and 
and and whatnot. Obviously, at that point, Paris Saint Germain had 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 stolen a draw uh, through Cavani's free kick late on, and I thought that the sort of that game replicated that approach, um, where you know we'd get stuck in. We're not going to, you know, be caught um, unaware. We're not going to, you know, be glib in defence. We're going to sort of get stuck in and play, not so much dirty, but really not leave anything um, on the field. Um, and I mean, I don't know exactly what Alvaro has uh, especially done. Obviously, we have to underline that this is an ongoing investigation. And uh, as of tonight, as of this recording, there's no um, hard proof. That's not to say it didn't happen. There's just no hard proof in the cameras that that's picked up. It's, it's a very serious allegation. And I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks, if proven, was this a, you know, somebody crossing a line um, as a consequence of this. Some other people will tell you, oh, it means this and it means that, or he said this, he said that, he didn't say that. Um, we don't know, none of us know. Um, and for now, it's one person against the other. And that being said, you know, there are competent authorities who will investigate that. Um, you know, it, for me, you know, I, what you can see, what can be seen is that Alvaro and Neymar had it on from about 25th minute right till the end. Um, you know, they just didn't let each other go. Um, there were comments going and flying and there was an allegation in the 36th minute, um, which nothing happened. Play went on, half time as normal. And then in the second half, just before that melee that you saw in the 96th minute uh, kicked off, Alvaro and Neymar were having further um, sort of, you know, words against each other and then it all kicked off behind them which they went to join the party afterwards where you know Paredes and Benedetto um, had uh, you know had a bit of a fight and then you saw Amavi and Kazawa and then Alvaro somehow from in, in, being in that position fell over and then and then the Neymar punch and oh slap whatever you want to call it and then you know nothing then that, to that point and obviously you know, again, I can't 100% be sure, but in injury time, there's no sort of why you're being racist, why you're being racist. I think that came early in the game, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but obviously, as he went, as he got sent off, as the VAR confirmed what he um, had done by slapping um, Alvaro um, on the head as he came off, he told the fourth official and then the camera and the microphone that was next to the tunnel, I, you know, it's racism and that's why, essentially. Um, obviously, both sides have come out. Sorry, no problem. Yeah, so both both clubs have come out. Unsurprisingly, Paris Saint Germain are sticking with Neymar, um, and Marseille are sticking with Alvaro. It's a very serious accusation. Obviously, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Marseille fan or Paris Saint Germain fan. If proven, there has to be harsh sanctions. Um, that's just as simple as that. And it's not a three-game ban or ten thousand euro fine, as as might have happened in international games and UEFA, and you know, you know, things that people say. You know, this is this hits a little bit differently um, because of you know the fact that um, I'm sure um, not only do you know um, is this uh, obviously in the current context of the world a very serious issue uh, with what's been going on, and people are now seem you know more um entwined by you know to have this issue raised forward and not take you know it being sweeped except under the carpet anymore but also on the marseille side you know marseille is a very um multicultural place multiculturalism is at the heart of it it's a very anti-racist place um that is not to say that alvaro gonzalez is racist absolutely not uh, and as the statement from marseille says tonight but you know, if 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 this is proven, um, then obviously it puts him in a very very difficult position. It puts the club in a, in a very difficult position. It puts the league in a very difficult position too. Um, it's it's okay to hope that it's not true. It's okay to hope that this is one big misunderstanding. Um, but it's it's serious, and I, I agree that you know this is not something that could be swept under the carpet and forgotten of. Um, you know. You know, that's it. That's it's done with, and that's that. I, I definitely agree with that. Say that obviously last night there's lots of things flying around the heat at the moment, and 
you know, while the competent authorities are looking into this, um, while the competent authorities are looking into this, um, we have to also look at a couple, you know, I mean, it, what's what's unacceptable is um, Alvaro sort of um, being absolutely guilty, even though, you know, no one's, no one's ruled him so. Um, I think there there have been instances where, you know, his number's been put on the internet and, you know, death threats and, you know, the, the, the bad things that come across, you know, with social media and something like that. Um, and in, in the off chance that it doesn't have to be true, that player is tarnished regardless. Um, and people don't understand that, you know, this is a serious allegation. No one knows what's been done. And, you know, I, I don't know, maybe in England, maybe in the Premier League, as we saw, like in things like, you know, with Terry and Ferdinand, et cetera, you know, we were able to catch the footage very, very quickly. And then, and then sort of, you know, you haven't got a leg to stand on. That hasn't happened. Um, the you know, Telefoot this evening said that we're unable to pick up anything other than mere insults. We can't say for sure. They're not obviously exonerating Alvaro. They're not accusing him of anything. Uh, they just said that, you know, it's not possible. Um, but what we have, we'll send it to the league, OM and PSG, where they can um, underline that. Um, okay, while that's going on, we move forward. We look at, you know, what else was unsavoury in that game um, and, and then wait for the competent authorities to dish out uh, their verdict on what is, again, I repeat, a very serious allegation that shouldn't be minimised um, whatsoever. Um, we can, in the meantime, underline our commitment to, you know, um, um, banning racism. Uh, we can, um, you know, still support Neymar because I think one thing we can agree on is that, you know, he acted in a way that wasn't normal. You know, I think a lot of people have said that, um, you know, you just don't flip like that, you know, unless you've heard something deeply offensive or deeply personal to you you just don't flip and you know people point to his record in many many high profile matches never never had never had an issue uh, like he may have had yesterday and it's the same with Alvaro as well never once was he accused of racism so you can look at it both ways and I think people can look at whatever lens that they want so we we, we, we let the authorities do their work um, that being said um, moving on you know, there are a couple of things that we did see yesterday and that must be um, sort of looked at. Obviously, chief amongst them, um, the spit uh, from Di Maria to um, uh, to Alvaro, who happened to be in the middle of everything. Um, obviously, in, in the middle of a pandemic, that is just not on. And also, Amavi with the attempted kick on Kurzawa and what Kurzawa did to, you know, ahead of that. Um, we need to obviously look at those and and see you know what failed and 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 you know what solutions that we can have to ensure something like this never happens again because while it might have been dramatic and interesting and and you know everyone likes to see a bit of theater uh, when it comes to you know two teams getting at it it does nothing for the league profile it does nothing um for um for for the club's reputation it does nothing for any of us what we do want to see is two of the best uh, best known teams in Liga and to the to the top teams play out a fantastic game of football on the field in the best conditions and then the winner you know is the winner that's it yeah I, I, I think I, I couldn't concur more with that Mo I think that we really did see you know it was a great weekend of football across the league and to have things sort of sullied by this being what goes out to the world I think was really disappointing from the league's perspective we look at the matches that were played, Monaco Nantes was, was fantastic. And we saw uh, that, that great goal from Urban Cardona. And that's a player who I actually want to move on to now, uh, focusing on the, the, the mo former Monaco striker who has, is now playing in his second season at Brest. Um, Philip, talk us through that goal and, and talk about as well his role playing, playing for Monaco and, and now Brest and what sort of player he is and why fans should be should be watching him? Uh, he hasn't had uh, the most easiest of uh, of rides. He uh, uh, he didn't get. I mean, he he didn't play. He was playing all that all that much. And to to be honest, he didn't start uh, yesterday. 
um, at uh, at Dijon, um, and uh, he wouldn't. Well, actually, he wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't really be um, the most uh, the most popular uh, the most popular guy. He's ba he's basically to to me uh, given uh, showing showing the resume uh, some kind of uh, of super sub that doesn't. I mean, doesn't uh, score loads and loads of goals, but always del uh, delivers uh, in a in an attack uh, attacking sense, just like he did, just like he did yesterday. I mean, uh, if, you, if you watch that goal, it's a very, it's uh, it's really like a, a comic, uh, some kind of comic book goal where the play actually uh, jumps and manages to keep his uh, his feet up in order to make a volley into the top corner. I mean, it's an absolutely un unreal goal. It's uh, you know a must watch. Yeah, I, I think, Mo, turning to you too, I, th I think this is interesting how Brest are going to settle that. They have Gaetan Charbonnier, and they've recently signed Steve Mounier, who's known in Ligue 1 for his time uh, with Montpellier. That's uh, a great buy. Right, so how, how, do, how do we see Brest settling things tactically? Do we see Cardona being played as a second striker? Do we see a partnership with Mounier and, and Charbonnier, because obviously the purchases they've made this, this offseason in terms of Honora and Tavares, there's clearly a, an idea of width and, and pace being the mandate for Brest tactically. Do we see Cardona continuing to be a piece of this? Well, he has to. I mean, this is a guy that you know, is, 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 is capable of sublime and who hasn't really had the rubber the green um, over the last couple of uh, seasons. Um, and, you know, as you saw yesterday with his wonderful goal, um, you know, this is, he should be on the field, he should be developing, he should be um, able to um, really assist um, with a uh, press sort of uh, position themselves as a, as a league and mainstay. You know, on, on, the, on the field, they've done really, really well with their um, recruitment. Um, um, Charbonnier, who again, I think looked pretty decent. Um, at the weekend, um, and obviously looked fantastic. I thought against OM two week, uh, well, I think two weeks ago. Um, Cardona has that pace. He has the pace. He um, has the legs. Um, I, you know, I, haven't, I confess I haven't seen much of the Duaron um, to make a call of whether Cardona should start in the uh, team. But having four men up front, Favre, Mounier, Charbonnier, and Cardona will, you know, actually be a Philip for um for, for Galolio. I mean he can he can focus on uh, pressing teams hard, you know, getting in there. They've they're very technical front four uh with 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 target men, with with pace, with the ability. Um and they're gonna be needing that um against teams around them in the in the league. We're talking about your Nîmes, Lorient, um, Metz for example, Strasbourg. Um and it worked to first of all good effect. So it's working. They played ultra wide um, against Marseille, um, playing heavily on the counter two weeks ago. That nearly worked to great effect. Um, they've, they've, they've again pulled off another good victory. Um, well, their first victory, I should say, um, yesterday. So I think they need to look at these solutions and see what they can derive from them. But I think that front four is looking decent um, in the early stages. Yeah, what's that? What you were saying. From what you were saying about uh, him being played up front for a second strike, I mean, from what for that I can I can gather from last season from uh, uh, from his uh, 17 minutes uh, at Dijon yesterday is that he's very much uh, still very much a wingman, and I still think that his best position is either on on the wing. Not haven't not seen enough of him. Um, if uh, his best position is as a right winger or as a left winger, but still still think that. Uh, uh, maybe central, maybe not uh, not big enough for for being played in the center. I think. Right. I mean, this is this is what I was saying that you have a more physical target man in the form of Charbonnier, in the form yeah. of Mounier, that Cardona can be there for the second balls. And I think that's a that's a lot of how he worked last year. I believe he scored seven goals in the league last season. Was Brest's top scorer. Uh, obviously, again, Six, the, yeah. team, the team is is retooling. Uh, we have you know Christophe Arel has been brought in as well. I think that's a really canny buy for Brest as well. Again, Very good. Dijon are, I think, over these first three match days, far, far and away the poorest team in the league. Um, I don't know if they're going to have a, uh, you know, a poor season along the lines of Arlo Avignon, but I could see them being this year's to lose. Really, really a difficult start, uh, especially with the, the transfer of Julio Tavares that was announced today. Um, but moving on, uh, just before you have to 
to depart, Mo, I, I wanted to talk about the LFP election as someone who's perhaps near and dear to you, and, and that's the Vincent Lebrun has been elected the new LFP president, um, following on from Natalie Baudelatour and Didier Keo. Uh, talk about uh, how what this means for the league and uh, how how the LFP are moving forward again with this new with this new uh, contract we mentioned for for Chelefou. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, you know, Eric, you, you and I, and obviously Philip as well, have been doing this for quite a while, um, for years even. So I think you can remember on the early podcast that we shared together, uh, my frustrations with uh, Vincent Lebrun. Um, I think that doesn't need to be uh, said right. uh, really much more. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I, for for the context of our listeners, I mean, this is not the establishment candidate, so to speak. I mean, it was a former Marseille president who, by all accounts didn't really succeed at a time of high turbulence for OM with no money um, being voted ahead of uh, a well-liked and um, well-esteemed uh, candidate Michel Denisot who was the former president at Paris Saint-Germain and Chateauroux who was a former executive at Canal Plus who had the backing of Paris Saint-Germain and Lyon this time so it's, it's the equivalent of um, I don't know I'm um, you know Ed Woodward in England being voted Premier League chairman um, ahead of, um, you know, Greg, Greg Dyke, who, for our listeners, was the former FA chairman, the former director of the BBC, etc. You know, a guy that knows football and has been in the top jobs in football. Uh, so, yeah, it is, it is, it is a quite, it is quite a, a quiet thing. Um, that being said, you know, what, what are his early challenges? I think we can say that uh, the, the previous... Um, um, duo, uh, Didier Kio, who was um, um, uh, charged the day-to-day of the LFB, who's also going to be leaving, and Natalie Boyd de la Tour, who I think started their tenures very, very well, but um, in the context of coronavirus and the impending losses and the way the league ended, they've really seen their reputation uh, sort of go to pot in the last um, nine to 12 months. Um, and obviously the way they handled the TV uh, tender, which led to initially Canal Plus, a long-time partner of the league, not getting any matches with this since sublet from being sports. So what what is sort of the immediate entry for for the LFP or for Vincent and Brun? Um, it's first of all to continue to manage the coronavirus pandemic. Um, you know, fans are, are back in the stadiums, but not by a massive amount today. We saw the limit actually go down to one thousand in both Marseille and Bordeaux. So there's going to be um, a longer term financial fallout. Um, there's a ma- there's a great TV deal on at the moment, which was negotiated by the previous administration. Um, that's fantastic. But, um, you know, at this, at this moment in time, Telefood does not have the subscriber base really to, for it to be sustainable. That is an ultimate challenge. So of course the product needs to be better. The distribution needs to be better. Um, and again, you know, the longer term plans, it is always going to be to position Liga as a highly credible top five European league to distance themselves between them and the rest, but also to close the gap as much as it can to Serie A um, and, and the Bundesliga in particular. And that's going to need continued foreign investment. That's going to need, um, you know, signing better international deals. I mean, the, the overseas TV deal for Ligue 1 is absolutely shocking. I think it's just 60 million a season for all 20 clubs to share when you see, the, you know, Bundesliga being three times that. Um, so, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of, of work. Now, what is Vincent Lebrun as as a man. I mean, as an executive, he's, got, he's arguably got a fantastic network um, in France domestically. Um, and the fact that he's been able to pull off 15 votes, um, mostly from the, you know, from the lower eb- ebbs of, of, of Ligue 1, I suppose. Maybe even from Marseille, we don't yet know. Um, he's got a great network. So those clubs are going to be looking to him. Curious to know that he's not Paris Saint-Germain or Lyon's man. Um, or that's at Lyon famously butting heads with him on several occasions uh, and most prolifically during the 2015 season. Um, so he's, he's, a, he's a man of network. He's a man that sometimes on rare occasions actually gets a job done um, without, you know, expectation. Um, you know, looking back now, his idea to, to um, at Marseille, for example, to um, buy low, uh, buy young and, um, you know, focus on, bringing the likes of Imbula, Tolvan, Mendy um, to Marseille was, was in fact a, a really, really good deal. And they ended up selling all of them for, for big money. Um, 
how's that you know has he worked in an executive job before i don't you know i don't think he has the cv that michel deniso or the other pretenders have that remains to be seen so he's coming in at a very very delicate time for 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 french football he's coming in with not the best reputation with the key players I and mean, i don't think you know having left marseille in you know acrimony um i don't think he's got the current in the sort of best friendship with the current administration um, and they're the big guys that you need to get on side immediately if you want to succeed um, so good luck to him um, a lot of people are bemused but you know he's, he's you know that's not to say that he can't do a good job well what's what's the view in, from France then I mean, obviously we have this new and, and you know again slightly controversial as Mo alluded to given the relationship with Canal Plus uh, TV contract in place we have sort of a a difficult, uh, a difficult period in terms of uh, how the LFP navigated the, the the coronavirus and the fact that they were the big, the most high profile league in Europe to to cease operations. Uh, how do you see LeBron being able to take this the league forward? And 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 this is it is I think as Mo rightly mentions a, a bit of a crucial crossroads uh, for the league. It's gonna be it's gonna be actually pretty hard to uh, to to do better than uh, than what they currently have, isn't it? I mean, uh, media pro is such a such a step up from uh, finan financially wise than what they than what they used to have. Um, I think uh, the 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 fact that uh, there is no uh, no coup de la league is a destruction, shall we say, um, less. Um, maybe maybe less to do, but more uh, more wealth to uh, to the actual league clubs, so the, the professional clubs. So it's uh, it's not it's not. I'm not saying it's an impossible task. We still need to uh, to uh, to go out there and uh, and to say that the French league does uh, is is appealing. Uh, but to to be honest, I think uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Still uh, still recruit some. Uh, still actually. Uh, Keep the academies open. That's I think that's the most important thing. So uh, the very very good ones like uh, Le Havre, I think uh, I think uh, Nice and Montpellier are doing some great jobs in great job in the south, and uh, and keep saying them for loads of for loads of money. I mean, keep doing what the league has been doing because the plan is, I think, is is working. Actually, I forgot to, I forgot to mention you in those in those academies. Um, and um, that uh, yeah, most uh, most football club finds themselves in they should be in a good in a good financial position. They're not because there's a lot of mismanagement. There's a lot of uh, of ugly stuff going going on behind the scenes, especially in in league two sides. Um, but uh, most of them most of them are not are not exactly managed like um, uh, like a company. Otherwise, it would probably probably go go under. But um, you know that's uh, that's basically the the point is uh, is to to make uh, to, to make a big sale uh, every other year for for most clubs and focus on the academy. Yeah, I, again, it, it's we've There's seen not really think, much else you can do. Actually, I mean that's that's the thing. Right. I, I think you know the other thing too. I, I would add to this is that you know Mo and I are speaking before the show that this really could be a very intriguing year. In Liga, a lot of teams have started well. We look at we look at Monaco under Niko Kovac. They're they're you know undergoing a bit of a regime change, and in terms of style of play, they're bringing in Paul Mitchell. That's that's a real sea change for them. And given the resources that that club has, I think they could be they could be up there. Ren Julien Stefan has done a great job. They appear to be ready to spend as well. Uh, talking about bringing in like Cesaro Gurassi, Naif uh, You know what happens with Eduard Mendy if he is indeed sold. That's another thing that needs to be dealt with, but I think they look they look really promising as well. Um, you know, Montpellier, I, I think you know had a bit of a bump to start the season, but I think they're going to be there thereabouts again. And Michel Zerzakarian mm. has that team so well organized, and having watched Tejie Savanier against Nice on Saturday, I mean, he looks back to his best. He had a bit, a bit of a difficult season last year, having started with that injury, but it was just starting to come into form when the season was ended prematurely. So. I think that there's to say nothing of Leon, uh, Marseille, and, and PSG. I think there is a real chance for the league to showcase itself this year, and I think that that's something that it is going to be really important uh, for LeBron to to build upon to look at how this, this product markets itself. 
Go ahead, Phil. I don't think the Fuggers will uh, uh, will show it because uh, PSG hasn't made a massive move yet because, you know, Florencia is alone. Um, but I'm actually quite impressed with how much the clubs have spent uh, during the summer, given that the transfer window isn't over yet. And not just, uh, well, actually, actually, Joachim uh, and Lille and uh, and Dijon and uh, other clubs. I mean, clubs that would that would usually be strapped for cash actually made four million four million euros uh, transfer swoops, which is actually quite surprising because all you hear all along is that uh, we don't have any money. We need to, we need the money from the television to pay the players. Blah blah blah. And you know, it it does seem like you know some cash is is available for transfers. I mean, that's that's what I'm. I, I hadn't really noticed that at some clubs um, in the past few summers, and it does seem like you know there's a bit more you know financial leverage there. Right. I mean, we we also seen that in the person of Lance and Lorient breaking their transfer records. Uh, Sick uh, Fofana being yeah. brought in. Uh, or Adrian Gerbich to to Lorient. So just to con- just to wrap the show up, is there is there anything else that uh, you want to touch on, Mo, uh, over the weekend's action in terms of a performance to watch, a, a, a moment in, a moment to watch, a club to watch? Um, that's a good point. Um, for me yes. personally, it will be it will be have to be. Um, uh, I thought Montpellier's victory um, on. So it's Saturday by now? I can't Saturday, Saturday. It was yeah, the early, it was early match on Saturday. That, yeah. looked, that looked really, really good. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Gaetan Laborde in particular had a strong start. Daniel Congrey, now the veteran. Uh, well, not so veteran, obviously. Hilton's still on the side. Um, you know, having having such a fantastic game. And Nice, who looked very, very enticing in the first two games, absolutely blown apart. Um, and as a consequence, came off um, their top spot. Um, Montpellier, I think that had to be uh, sort of a fantastic um, sort of comeback because they, I mean, they lost to uh, Ren the other week before, which is obviously no great shame, but they really didn't provide anything in that game. I thought that they looked very, very poorly. They conceded the ball and um, to Ren quite a bit. I think they were about 30 something percent possession. Um, but, you know, against an East side who many tipped to sort of start grinding their gears and be working towards the top end of the table. Uh, Montpellier completely stopped them in their tracks and maybe this is the Montpellier that we know who doesn't matter what the opposition are they can really give you a game whether it's through uh, creative attacking through the likes of Savanier and Laborde and, and Delors um, or whether they're just really really gritty and and you know able to stifle their players with their very mean defence um, it's good to see them sort of now after that false start really get into things um, and you never know they play you know Lyon I think this weekend, uh, that will also see seek for the you know, that will also be a, a confirmation to see actually what face that Montpellier will have at this season. Leon obviously, you know, knowing full well the trickery that Montpellier face, uh, especially at the Mosson. So I think that's it's, my sort of goal of the week. Yeah, it's actually what's, tomorrow, isn't it? Tomorrow, yes, to reschedule a match. Yeah. Yes, well, of course. Yeah. Uh, Philip, what's your takeaway from the weekend? Um. I watched that game, Montpellier versus Nice. What a goal by uh, Laborde, and Nice were indeed very, very bad. I, uh, I'd like to say a couple of words about Strasbourg. Um, I was actually quite worried when watching um, the results. They played at Saint-Étienne, they were quite resolute. It was uh, extremely tactical in the first half, not many chances, but uh, not, not, uh, not a bad watch until the very first goal, the penalty. Could have been... Could have been um, uh, chopped off by, by VAR, but you know, it wasn't. And then Strasbourg did lose. So Strasbourg are equal on points and equal on goal difference with Dijon with zero points, actually with Paris Saint-Germain next to two. Um, but um, I think I think they were heavily hit by COVID and that uh, with players uh, getting back uh, to, uh, to the speed and uh, playing, basically playing um, um, Getting back to full strength, I'm not particularly worried. We talked about Dijon, um, and I think uh, people know who who have li- listened to it for years uh, know that I love uh, all my relegation scraps. Um, quite worried about Dijon, but I think Strasbourg will be fine. And I actually saw Saint Etienne 
giving you uh, giving you six chance, uh, even though I thought they are essentially uh, attacking wise, they're quite. Um, um, it's, uh, they don't have uh, much options. Uh, they uh, they actually let uh, Johnny go to I think it, I think it's Dijon actually. Angers. Dijon Brest. Angers. Sorry, sorry. And um, yeah, that's uh, that's what I yeah want to, what I wanted to say. Uh, not not that worried about Strasbourg, but quite worried about Dijon. And uh, well, actually, I didn't get the chance to watch Bordeaux versus Lyon, so I was uh, actually hoping you'd uh, you'd uh, you'd say a couple of words about that, Eric. Yeah, you didn't miss much. I believe Leon had about twenty shots, um, shots on goal. Shots. Yeah. Sorry, I think only about a quarter of those were on goal. Yeah, just really lacking fluency. I think that the Carl Toko Okambi, um, you know, really, I think for his pace and his energy and and the drive with which he plays is great, but. I don't know that he necessarily can be an effective goal scorer as we saw his finishing be a, a, a moment of frustration for Leon throughout the Champions League. And I think that playing him in a leading role, as it were, for Leon, I, I don't think is going to get this team where they need to be. Obviously, we saw Tino Cadawere come on and make his first appearance for the club. He's a player who have a lot of potential. And I think that the club, are, about whom the club are very excited, and I think it remains to be seen how uh, Rudy Garcia sort of hammers out his, how his front three are going to play this season. But I think that they need to get that sorted out. They need to be more clinical. Again, Leon last season, we saw time and again, the club relying on big individual performances making the difference. We had that from Memphis on uh, match day two uh, against Dijon in that win. But if we don't have Memphis being on form or we have Moussa Dembele coming off early, I I think it's going to be perhaps a more challenging season for, for Leon than people would expect, regardless of whether they are tied down by European football. For me, I just wanted to, to close the show with a mention of Cesc Fabregas. Uh, I think that, again, you know, not, not the most sturdy of opposition. We had Abdullah Torre, for example, coming back uh, from COVID, playing his first match of the season. But uh, I think he was, play, he was played in a 4-3-3 in a, in a deep-line role in front of the defense uh, with Sofian Diop and Aurelien Chumeni ahead of him. And I think really looked good, really controlled the game. You know, we've got the pace of Kevin Boland, who looks to be the starter. He and Henry Onyekuru are going to joust for the, that over the course of the season. Justin Martin's on the right. A lot of pace, a lot of movement in that Monaco front three. And if you've got Sesk on, on form and not having to rely on his movement or his pace, he can really dictate play in terms of connecting with that front three and creating some dangerous moments like he did against Nantes. Again, Monaco were a little bit lucky in that result. We had a, a not had a goal very, very, very narrowly ruled offer outside uh, in the 20th minute but I think Monaco looked looked pretty good and they have looked good this season I, again it was frustrating for them to concede two goals against Rennes in the opening match but they battled back well um, showed a lot of grit against Mess a uh, big match on Saturday against Rennes I think that's one to look forward to for the weekend hopefully the guys on the preview show on Thursday will touch on that but yeah I think it was really impressive to see Cesc Fabregas who looked maybe not to have a place necessarily in, in the front in in that midfield three uh, with Golovin, Fofana, and, and Chumeni being sort of Kovac's anointed three, uh, but to really deliver a performance that uh, offered a lot of value. And, and Sofian Jopp and Willem Goebbels as well. I think two young players getting their first goal for the club. I think there's really a lot to look forward to uh, for this Monaco side. Another team who aren't involved in Europe, I think can really make waves going forward. I think Niko Kovac, you know, got a bit of a bad ride in Bayern. I think that was perhaps a bridge too far for him, but I think he's really looking smart and playing well or managing things well um, for the Principality Club. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think that's just uh, going to do it for us today. Uh, my thanks to, to Mo and to Philip, and thanks for listening. And we'll, I'm, I've been Eric Devin. We'll, we'll be back on Thursday with the preview show with Lewis McParlin and guests. 